So if we could, I do need, I know I feel like a magician when I say this, but I need a volunteer. All right. I know that sounds, I know that sounds kind of silly. And, and let me, I'd like a really young one if I, if I could. Well, let me do this. Let me do this first. If, if my pirate ship kids uh, can uh, begin making their way to the double doors, Ryan and Kim and Alex Shipley are going to be leading you uh, to go ahead and go out. And um, they're going to be joining uh, the pirate ship room today. Um, but uh, let me, here, I, I don't know his first name, Johnny. Come here, come here. All right, little little. Uh, I promise you, this isn't a trick. Okay, you good? What, what's your first name? Samuel. This is Samuel. Everybody, everybody, love. Say hey, Samuel. All right, very good. Okay, here's the, here's the game. All right, it's not it's not really a game. This is five bucks. Okay, I'm going to give you five bucks. All right, one, two, three, four, five. And this isn't a trick. All right, it's yours. Got it? Good. Um, now um, now here's what I want you to do. Can we do something about that, Joel? Uh, is it what would what would you do with five bucks? Huh? I mean, is that me? Am, am I causing problems here? Come this way. Huh? You don't know. Come on, dude. Five five bucks. Pretend it's a hundred. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, can I, can I have a dollar? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Can I have two? Thanks. Cool. No, I have two. You, can I have three? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Four? Thanks, man. You good? What are you going to do with a dollar? Not much. Might as well just give it to me back. Cool. <laughs> Thank. Hey, dude, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, here, you can have this. I promise you can have it. Um, anyway, <laughs> whose money was it? Whose money is it? <laughs> I actually borrowed it from him back there. So some, I'll get you. So, it's, a, it's a sermon on tithing, man. What do you want me to do? Uh, anyway, uh, you can go beat up a little kid. I, that's up to you. That's between you and Jesus, okay? Uh, anyway, I, here's the deal. We're going to be talking about tithing. We're going to be talking about giving today. Last week, we talked about personal financial management. We're going to dig into this idea of being generous people. And I'll show you that little example. Whose money is that? That was my money, right? I just gave it. I gave it to Samuel. Here, here you go. Here's five bucks. Here, here's every bit of it. And then, and I said, hey, can I have a dollar? And he was like, okay, here you go. It's a dollar. Hey, can I have another? Yeah, sure. Can I have another? And why do you think he so willingly did that? Because it was, I just gave it to him. I mean, just four seconds before that, I just gave it to him. Now, imagine if I had called somebody up, one of you adults, and I said, hey, you got a hundred bucks? And I said, hey, can you, you give it to me? And you're like, why? And you want to know, why? Why do you need my money? And, and, and the, that's, a, that's a big question. Why do you need my money? Why should I give you my money? Whose money is it? What's well, my money. Why should I give it to you? Here's the big thing that I want you to grasp before we even start this sermon, is that Going back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of your Bible, we're going to be looking, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But think about it. Genesis chapter 1, God begins creation. In the beginning, God created everything, the heavens and the earth. It took six days to create everything. From the sea, to the sky, to the earth, to the animals that were in the sea, to the birds in the air, 
to, uh, to actually then creating the pinnacle of, uh, of the creation, which was human beings. God is the creator. And as the creator, he is also the owner. The person who creates is the owner. And then he gifts to man, and he says, Adam and Eve, I want you to steward what I have given. I want you to bring everything under subjection or authority. You are the person who is going to be in charge of my creation. Now, whose creation is it? God's. Is it man's? No. Man is to steward that creation. Now, fast forward several thousand years. God still is creating. God still is giving. And God is still sustaining life. Now, whose creation is it? Is it ours? No, it's still God's. We fast forwarded several thousand years, but it's still God's. And God still owns everything. And thankfully, God has gifted us with authority and responsibility to govern or to make sure that we see over and steward everything. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we do it well. And then what's, what's great about it, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but what's great about what God does is God is the ultimate giver. Not only does he own everything, he freely gives everything away. So here's the big question. If God is the owner of all things, how should we respond? If God is the owner of all things, how should we respond? Should we respond like Samuel? Say, hey, it's yours. And it was yours to begin with. Here it is. Or do we respond and say, no, I'm taking this. It's mine. And you can't have it. It's mine. See, God's example is Jesus, the ultimate gift. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you eternal life. So let's talk about this idea of generosity. If you could look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, we're going to read 6 through 15, Jared, 6 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at all, we have them on a table right over there. They're free. I hope you would take one home and use it as much as you can. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. I'll read this whole passage. It says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give, a, give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I want you to catch that. I'm going to read verse 10 just a second because the highlight in your Bible. Here he goes. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of thanks of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission 
flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Let's pray together and we'll start. Jesus, we love you so much. And um, sometimes texts are hard in the Bible. Sometimes things are a little bit more difficult to talk about in church. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you would um, soften uh, our hearts today to what you would have for us, that uh, we would indeed become a generous church to everyone around and that our harvest uh, would be a harvest of righteousness. And we love you. I'm thankful for um, your grace on us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So here it is. I want to give you just two. And I know most preachers give three principles. I, I couldn't come up with two because we follow the scripture. Or, I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with three. So we, we follow the scripture and we do, we, we do what it says and we preach what it says. So we got two principles about being generous. And then I want to, at the end, I just want to challenge you with something. And it, I'll be honest with you. It is a pretty large challenge. So the first thing, the first principle I want you guys to get from this passage is that generosity is about sowing and reaping. Generosity is about sowing and reaping. Now that is an ancient term and we never use it. Nobody ever talks about that unless you are a farmer. It is a farming term of taking seed, I'm sorry, cultivating the ground, then taking seed and throwing it out onto the ground, right? It gets covered with soil and then it begins to grow. And at the end of that growth cycle, we harvest whatever grows, okay? And, and this is a repeated analogy in Scripture. It happens over and over again. And, and Jesus himself uses this. All right, and here's, here's the misconception about, about giving. And especially we, we see this at Christmas a lot. Uh, there's a misconception about giving altogether and being generous. Now, most, most of the time we would say, make sure that you give and expect what? Nothing in return. A gift is something that is... You know, you, you give it and you do not pretend that you need anything back. Now, a lot of us would like a thank you. That would be good. And we teach our children, make sure you say please and thank you. And when somebody gives something to you, say thank you. And then the obvious, uh, you know, the, the, the Chick-fil-A term is, anybody know? There it is. My pleasure. Okay. Very, thank you, Chick-fil-A worker. Awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they, they've done away with the whole you're welcome and, and, and moved on to greater and more wonderful things to say. But they're, you know, thank you, you're welcome. And that's all you need and that's it. And so we've come to this, uh, this kind of understanding of giving to God as you give and there should be no expectation of anything in return because that would malign or, or it would make evil what you're trying to do. You don't want anything back. Now, here's the misconception. There is a return. When you give, and you're part of spiritual giving or tithing or being generous with the things of the church and with things of God, there certainly is, and I want you guys to get this, there is a return. There is. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. Paul is saying, you are sowing and you are reaping. Now, now here in, the, in Scripture, there's a lot of things that are being sown. It makes this analogy a lot. Jesus' famous analogy with the seed and the sower is, you know, he throws seed on various kinds of soil. And that seed that he's talking about is the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ, that he died and rose again for us eternally, right? That's the message of the gospel. The Bible also says that you can sow love. The Bible also says on the other side of things that you can sow anger. 
bitterness, hatred, and you will reap a harvest of all of those things. You, you sow anger and you will reap bitterness. You sow hatred and you will, I don't even know what you'll, you, you reap a lot of terrible and evil things. Sin, you'll reap that. You get back. That's your harvest. Now, scripturally, here's what we understand. Paul is talking about finances, specifically in this passage. We sow finances and we reap a harvest. Now, here's the deal. And I want to, or I read that verse over again, verse 10. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your, what's the word? Righteousness. So there is a return. It's not nothing. There certainly is a return. And that return, I'll put it up on the screen, that return is a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. Now, here's the deal. I want you guys to understand. This is a little side note for free. Now, when we talk about money, the reason why the church doesn't like to talk about money is because there's been, there's been a lot of churches out there that have maligned or, or seriously done a terrible job taking Scripture, putting it out of uh, place, and, and not teaching the truth. I want you guys to get this. There's something out there called prosperity theology, which simply means if you give to God, if you financially give, then God will give to you back money. So you put a dollar in the, in the plate, eventually you'll get back $10 into your wallet some way, somehow, right? That is sin and it's evil. That's just wrong. It's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. And this is rampant in a lot, it's rampant in a lot of cultures, especially ours. It's rampant in uh, third world countries. There's a lot of preachers that will go out and go into these small villages and say, if you give me your money, your, uh, your animals won't die, your, heart, your crops will uh, be more plentiful than last year. And it's this kind of, it's called prosperity theology in which you, you give to God and he will return to you tenfold what you have given. That's not right. Now, the other end of that is equally as evil. It's called poverty theology. If you are poor, if you don't have anything, then you are automatically more righteous than people who are rich. And even in our culture, in America specifically, and this is happening a lot politically, where the rich are being, I don't know, made fun of, insulted for, be, for simply being rich. And that the poor are the heroes. And they are, they are the victim. They should be entitled. And everything should be shifted so that everybody has the same. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Generosity is about, not about wealth. It is about righteousness. Now, here's the, in the Bible, there are four different kinds of people. There are the unrighteous rich. There's the righteous rich. There's the unrighteous poor. And then there's the righteous poor. It has nothing to do with your financial situation. It has everything to do with righteousness, holiness, goodness in your life. Now here, a good example of a righteous, rich person. If you go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, you see Abraham. This guy was flat out one of the wealthiest people on the face of the planet. And you have other examples. Joseph, he gave freely of all of his riches. Had incredible wealth and he just gave it away all the time. He used it. I mean, he lived in absolute splendor, used it. King David living in great splendor, a righteous, rich person. That happens. It does. Now you have the unrighteous rich in scripturally. You have guys like uh, Zacchaeus. 
who in the New Testament was a tax collector, and he was very unrighteous with his money, very unholy. And he would take, he would, uh, take money from people. Uh, he would steal it from people. At the end, Jesus saved him, and it was awesome, and he began to be generous, which was really cool. So he was a, he's a good example of an unrighteous rich person. Now, there, there are, get this, and I want you to under, understand this, there are unrighteous poor people. There are. The Bible calls them sluggards. If you read through Proverbs, it talks about that a lot. Right? And then there, of course, there are righteous poor. The best example of this is Jesus. Jesus was very poor. Very, very poor. We talked about that in our Christmas series. But he was, of course, the holiest and most righteous among us ever in history. So there are examples of this. And it doesn't have to do with your wealth. It doesn't have to do with how God has blessed you. Now, here's the deal. Everyone in this room is a blessed person. I've got got to be honest. We live in America, right? Everyone in this room is a very blessed person. You have a roof of your head, food to eat. There's nobody in this room that's emaciated or is starving or, you know, we would walk in the room and, and, you know, doesn't have decent clothes on. Every one of us in this room in particular, we are very blessed. And that is a good thing. And those blessings certainly come from God. And we have to understand that. The question is, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to be a righteous, rich person? Am I calling you to give away all your wealth? Possibly. Is God calling you to do that? Possibly. Is that for everyone? No. But there is a generous context to what we have to be doing. Righteousness is a return on generosity. So what does this mean? Um, When we sow generosity, as Paul is talking, when we're sowing the seeds of generosity financially, when we're giving away money, What is it we get in return? Here's what we get. More people come to faith in Christ. As you give, there there provides a foundation or a platform for the church to be able to preach the gospel. It obviously takes money to do what we do here. Um, It takes a lot of money. We actually, to be honest with you, it costs us a hundred bucks an hour to be in this room. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And so we, we have to be able to be funded by generous people who give freely of what God has given to them, right? So, um, so, but our platform is we get to preach the gospel and people come to Christ. And we've seen that within the last couple months. We've seen men come to Jesus. That's worth a, a great investment. We also invest in your children. It costs money to do what we do on the other side of that wall. It costs money to do what we do in the pirate ship room. It costs money to do that. Now, you invest in your children. You do this all the time. You make sure they're fed. You make sure that they're uh, well-educated. And you invest in them financially, right? And so we want to see that too. We want you to be generous to your children. We want you to be generous to your wives, gentlemen. Take them out on a date, goodness sakes, right? We want you to buy them stuff and, you know, give them a great experience of joy and joy life together. Be generous to them, Right? Spouses, be generous to each other. Be generous to your children. These are all good things. And these are righteous acts, right? When you spend money and and be generous to your children, that is a righteous act that you do as a parent. When Jesus gave his life, that was a very generous act that the Father gave his Son to us as a generous act of what? Righteousness. And when we give and we sow When we sow finances, we reap righteousness. That's the goal. That's the goal. 
Second thing I want you to see from this, um, generosity is evidence of salvation. I want you to get this. Hear me right. I think I, I got it on the screen. Generosity is evidence of salvation. Now, hear me now. Salvation is free every time to everyone. Generosity is an evidence of that. Think about it as a crime scene. If you were to go, if you were to go and, um, well, okay, let's, let's make it a little less than that. Okay. Uh, let's say you walk, I'm like a crime scene. That's kind of ugly. Uh, you know, amazing. Imagine if you walked into the kitchen and you see the cookie jar, right? And it, you know, the cookie jar is now empty and there's a trail of crumbs leading to a certain person's bedroom in the house. And we won't mention who that is. Right. Right. Now is the evidence, the actual crime. No. The evidence is not the crime, but the evidence does lead to what has happened, right? It does lead to what has happened. Now, so I want you guys to get this. By being generous, you are not gaining salvation in Jesus. And that's very important that you understand that because salvation is always free and it always will be. If you put money in the plate today, if you put money in the plate ever, it does not mean that you've gained salvation in Jesus. It, what, it, what, how we get that is pure, unmerited grace, which is fantastic. Right? So, but when we are generous, when we gain our understanding of generosity, it is an evidence. It is an evidence so that we understand that it, it definitely leads us to understand our salvation a little bit better. It leads other people to understand that Christians are generous people. As Christians, we should be more generous people. Now, salvation happens in a moment transformation, which includes generosity, transformation happens over time. Transformation happens over time. And a lot of you know this. Some of you came to faith in Christ when you were a very young child and you kind of don't remember that transformation, but you've been gaining momentum. Some of you came to a relationship with Christ when you were much older and you can see the transformation in your life. Some of the things that you were doing, you stopped doing. Some of the things that you haven't been doing, you started doing that are righteous acts of favor, right? Began doing that. And uh, Martin Luther once said, and this is a great quote, Martin Luther once said, the last thing to be converted is usually the wallet, right? And I saw uh, there was a cartoon of this guy being baptized. And, uh, you know, he, he gets, he gets in ba- and the, the preacher's dunking him in the water. And this guy's holding his wallet up above the water, make sure that that part is not baptized, right? It's the, it's the last part of us uh, that is often sanctified or transformed in our life. Why? Because we hold on to money. We hold on to that so dearly. It's our life. It's our blood. It's our, it's our lifeline to the world, right? It is the last thing usually to be converted. Now, the church in America, here it is. The church in America is very ungenerous. It's unfortunate. The church in America is very ungenerous. Get this. If you took every Christian in the United States of America, every single one of us who loves Jesus, right? And you were to add up all of our gross annual income. Gross annual income. So there was a study done, Christians, an estimated gross annual income of $2 trillion. Every Christian in America, $2 trillion. That is, if you were to just take that economy, that gross income, it would make the sixth largest economy in the world. It's pretty interesting. So just Christians in America are the sixth largest economy in the entire world. Here it is. Out of that $2 trillion, Christians had an average giving of 
an average generosity of 2.9%. In fact, sure, our friends, so I want to make sure you understand this, where it comes down to us in Cane Bay, the average uh, church at Cane Bay giver gives 1.3% of, uh, of their gross annual income. Now, here's the deal. You might, and you might be thinking, Charlie, I know, I hear you, I got you, I'm with you. And, uh, I'm, but you don't know where I'm at. Uh, we're, we're just struggling to get by. There, when, and, and when, I know there's a promotion coming. My boss says that in a couple months, uh, you know, I'll be getting a raise. So it's, it's coming. And at that point, I'll begin to give. At that point, I can be generous when I have more money. Get this. Here it is. People that, uh, according to this study of the $2 trillion that were of, uh, of believers, um, people that made under $20,000 a year. So that's, a, that's certainly below the national poverty line. People that, that live on $20,000 a year gave 5.7%. They gave 5.7%. That's pretty good. The richest people that make 200000 or above in that $2 trillion gave 0.07% of their income. It's kind of interesting that the people who had less percentage-wise gave more. And people that had more, percentage-wise, gave significantly less. So we have to understand that when we have money, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be generous. Generosity is a spiritual decision. It is not a financial decision. Write that one down. <laughs> Generosity is a spiritual decision, not a financial decision. And so... Um, so when we give, we are telling this whole transformation process. When we give, we are telling the world that we love Jesus, uh, and give. And, and we are telling the world that there is a transformation happening in my life. That there's, and I want you to, want you to see this in verse thirteen. I want to leave the scripture here. It says this: By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission following from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all, all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. It, says, it, it basically says that people will begin to glorify God because of generosity that they see within the church. That there is an evidence of salvation that happens when we are a generous people. Um, and we begin, that transformation is this. The transformation goes from when you see people, when we begin loving money and using people, gener generosity happens when we begin loving people and just using money to do it. So we go from loving money and using people to loving people and using money to do it. That's the transformation that happens in a Christian's life according to this passage, and people will begin to glorify God because of the generosity that they see within the church. Now, here's the challenge. I want you guys to get this. Here's the challenge. I want to challenge you very specifically to think through this with your family. We have 90 days until Easter. 90 days until Easter. Will you make a commitment to tithe? Will you make a commitment to tithe for 90 days? Will you decide to say, hey, I'm going to be generous with our income. I'm going to decide to give what we have for three months. Now, here's the deal. You might say, man, that's going to be impossible. Here, here's, what I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Here's a little guarantee, all right? 
If you get in hard times, if you can't pay your mortgage payment, if you, and you've, you've given faithfully and you said, hey, I'm going to take that challenge and you, you, know, you can't pay for food or whatever, just give me a call. We'll give your money back. I'll just give your money back. That's not a problem. Tithe. Tithe means tenth. I think I have that on the board, right? A tithe means a tenth. It's an ancient term in which it's used for farmers and gatherers and stuff. And what they would do in the Old Testament is that they would gather everything they'd have, and then they would pick out the top 10% of what they'd have, whether that was animals, fruit, harvest, whatever. And they would take the best 10%, and before they would use any of the rest of it, they would give that 10% to the church or to, uh, to the temple, right? And they'd give that over to God, and they'd give it over, right? A tenth, or a ten, uh, and for us, what that means years later is a tenth of our income. And I'm not telling you to do anything that I personally don't do. This is something that Adrian and I have done for years, that we have given to the church. And now you might be saying, well, um, yeah, you're the preacher and you're the pastor of the church and you get paid by the church. Uh, isn't that a little biased opinion as to whether you should give to the church? Here's the deal with that. I, I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe that the church brings the message of Jesus Christ, which is the, ultimately what people, what people need. And I believe that it is a worthy investment. Can you give to other things, United Way or Salvation Army? Yeah, those are all good things. But I want to challenge you. Give to the church. Why? Because you put, you always want to put the, the ball in the hand of the playmaker. When, the, when, when time is running down in the game, you want to put the ball in the hand of the playmaker. Right? If, you're playing, if I was playing football, if I was in the NFL, and somebody put a ball in my hand, I'd, I'd freak out. Right? That wouldn't happen. Things would not go well, right? If you, get, you put the ball in the hand of, you know, I would say Tim Tebow, but that didn't work out so well last night. Um, so, I mean, you put, but if you put the ball in Tebow's hand, what's he going to do? He's going to throw a touchdown, right? He can do that. You put the ball in the hand of the playmaker. You take a basketball, put me on an NBA court, and say, here's the ball, make a play. I'd freak out. I couldn't even make a layup, right? You give the ball to, like, LeBron James, dude can dunk crazy. You score all sorts of points, right? You put a club, a golf club, in the hands of Tiger Woods, you get an amazing result. You put a golf club in my hands, I'd shank it all over the place. I have no idea what I'm doing. You put two nails in my hands, and I I can make you a birdhouse, right? I might be able to make you something. You put two hands in Jesus' hands, or two nails in Jesus' hands. You save the world. You put the ball in the hand of the playmaker, which I believe is the local church, the hope of the world that can save lives, eternal lives. That's amazing news. That's amazing news. So I want to challenge you with that. And here's the deal. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want something for you. Generosity has changed my life. This is personal for me. I, the church saved my life. I have no idea why, you know, what would happen to me if, if I had never come to Christ. I had no idea what, where I would be, some gutter somewhere. I certainly wouldn't be married to a wonderful woman with, with almost three beautiful children. I, I certainly wouldn't be here. I, I, I don't even know where I would be, but, I wouldn't, uh, but I, certainly my life would not be as abundant as it is now if the church had not been a part of my life. So I want to say to you, Will you put the ball in the hand of the playmaker and be generous and give? Take the challenge. Become a tither. Become someone who gives and is generous. 
gives of their time, right? Gives of their service. Do that with us. And I want to challenge you to do that. I know that's a lot to ask. I know it is. It's a ton to ask. It's a lot. <laughs> For a lot of you, it's just like, whoa, you're, you're killing me. We wouldn't be here unless we challenged people. And so let's do that. Let's love this community as we are generous. And let's, um, let's pray together. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you guys... Um, I'm going to give you guys just a couple minutes to pray silently. And, um, and you might, if you're sitting next to your spouse, uh, your husband, your wife, you might want to pray with them. That's, that's cool too. Um, I, I want you guys to pray for how you should respond to this message. I know that it's been, I know that it's been tough. It's, it's financial sermons is, are always hard to hear. Uh, they always step on people's toes. And uh, it makes us uncomfortable. Father, there is nowhere in Scripture where we, feel the, where we see the word comfortable. And as we are challenged to seek and save the lost, I pray that, that our generosity would precede that. And so here's what I want you to do. Just take a couple minutes and pray together. Uh, and then I'll, I'll close this out in a minute.